If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Also, the grammatist in me is going to make sure I take this right. And the social media is by Adam and me. It's not and I, because I wasn't the subject of that sentence. Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the James Harden getting traded to the Ben Simmons getting traded. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how is it going? It happened, it happened, and we hadn't already recorded. We're learning. We're evolving. We're progressing. Look at us. We intentionally scheduled a recording with our guest so that it would happen during the last hour of the trade deadline so we could talk about anything big that happened. Something big happened before we even started recording, and that takes up much of the recording. It was a wonderful conversation that we had with Jody, so we're going to kind of breeze through this first part because we talk about a whole heck of a lot. So let's get right to the Teal Memorial locker room to center ourselves. There's some new faces in new there. New faces, yeah. <laughs> trade deadline. You want to know who those new faces are? <laughs> I sure do. The new face is Ross Papa, but it's not a new face fully. Because Ross Papa is back. Ross Papa, one of our earliest patrons, is back. And we're very glad that Ross is in the mix. And of course, we are glad that our producer-level patrons are continuing to be in the mix. Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, trust the process, which, oh boy, what a day for process trusting. Siobhan <laughs> Ellsbury, Godzilla got busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He sells seashells, don't go chasing taco falls. Bang! Bang! Bremen can jump. Long-suffering Timberwolves fan who doesn't seem to be suffering anymore. Timberwolves will be really good lately. Mm. Roast Beef Debris, Kay the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Michaela loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Breezes, Anna Borgeli, and Weird Questions. You know who else is here in the Teal Memorial Locker Room having a good time? Probably this episode's sponsor, am I right? It is. Why don't you tell us about that sponsor, Adam? I sure will. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Many people think therapy is only for certain kinds of people. I completely disagree. I think you're in the same boat. Therapy is helpful for anyone who wants to talk through anything that's going on. We've been taught that mental health shouldn't be a part of normal life. That's wrong. We take care of our bodies with the gym, the doctor, and nutrition. We should also be focusing on our minds just as much. So if you're not familiar, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Uh, it's a lot more affordable than in-person therapy. I, I can't say this for everyone, but I live in New York and therapy is very expensive. Uh, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. And because you're a horse listener, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash horse. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash horse. And speaking of people supporting the show, we want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. And if in turn you want to support Multitude, you can do so by joining the Multicrew if you go to multicrew.club. And as a thank you for your support, you get access to a bunch of cool bonus features. And one of those is our exclusive podcast feed, which features Head Heart Gut, another fun bonus audio where you can listen to people like Adam and I argue about things like what's the best movie sequel of all time or what's the best fruit or what's the best <laughs> day of the week, all sorts of silly things. But 
other audio is being put on that feed as well. And you can join for as little as five bucks a month if you go to multicrew.club. And also, we just want to thank everyone who came to our live show. The live show was very fun. We had a blast doing it. It seemed like folks in the audience very much enjoyed it as well, including my parents. They put it up on their TV. Power to them for figuring out how to cast a YouTube live stream onto their TV, but they did it and they watched it and they enjoyed Barbara it. Barbara Joel are hip. They got it. They are a hip couple, those two. But we are also working to get that replay up on the merch store, just like with our past digital live show. So if you did miss it, you can go to the horse website and go to our merch. I believe it's horsehoops.com slash merch and check out that live show if you didn't get to catch it live. So that will be up soon. We'll post it on social media once it's live. It might be live by the time you're hearing this, but also not sure, but I'm working on it and it'll be up there. Hooray. And with that, we can get into full core press, get it like the news. Let's do it. All right, we're recording this on February 10th. Uh, this is happening at 3.12 p.m. We've concluded our interview with Jody Avergan, which is a very fun interview that talks in great detail about the Ben Simmons-James Harden trade. But there were a bunch of other trades that happened, and we we're just going to rapid fire go through them and talk about them very briefly. Perhaps next Full Court Press, we can talk about them more. But whole uh, a spicy trade deadline for sure. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, very spicy. And it started early. It was like Monday or Tuesday was already getting pretty spicy with... C.J. McCollum. Exactly. So the early kind of pre-trade deadline stuff, we had the Knicks trading for Cam Reddish, which we discussed. Then on the 19th, you had the Nuggets trading for Bryn Forbes from the Spurs. Spurs kind of blowing it up a little bit in that they are just trying to retool more towards the future. But yes, big one happened on February 4th. The Portland Trail Blazers basically got rid of most of the people on their team in the span of four days so that they could try to build a new team around Damian Lillard, or at least that's what they're saying. So first off, the Blazers traded to the Los Angeles Clippers, Norm Powell and Robert Covington. In return, they got Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a 2025 second round pick. This is a bit strange because the Blazers gave away a good amount of players and picks in order to get Norm Powell and Robert Covington on their team. So to trade those away for not a whole lot is kind of disappointing. But then they later did a trade with the New Orleans Pelicans where they traded away CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr. and Tony Snell, basically the remaining good players on their basketball team that aren't injured for the rest of the year in exchange for Josh Hart, Tomas Sadoransky, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who they then traded to the Jazz, a 2022 protected first-round pick, a 2026 second-round pick swap, and a 2027 second-round pick. So the basic plan is try to blow it up so you can sign a bunch of new people to put around Dame in the future. We'll see how it works, but Portland is kind of looking incompetent. Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing to add. Yes. <laughs> this is a weird one where I also don't exactly know why the Pelicans traded for CJ McCollum. I think it's they really want to make the play-in tournament, but I think they're going to. Their team is doing pretty well, so I don't know exactly why you have to trade for CJ. I think probably further incentivizing Zion to stay. I guess, except Josh Hart's been playing really well, so I don't know why you get rid of him, but we'll see. I think CJ McCollum makes more sense in theory of a basketball fit around Zion because he's a better shooter, so maybe that's what they're going for, but he is older and makes a lot of more money, so not exactly sure, but We'll see. Maybe maybe it's something that they felt would work better around Zion, and Zion hasn't played a lot this year, so they're kind of thinking of future fit stuff. That was a, definitely a big one, but an interesting one. Then, another big and interesting one is the Pacers 
also kind of blowing it up a little bit as expected. They traded away Karis Levert and a second round pick in 2022 to the Cleveland Cavaliers in exchange for Ricky Rubio, but really just his contract because he's out for the rest of the season. A 2022 first round pick, a 2022 second round pick, another 2022 second round pick. And then the Pacers also in what has got to be the steal of the deadline, they traded away Domantas Sabonis, who it was pretty sure they were going to get rid of, and Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2023 second-round pick. And in return, they got Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. But, like, Tyrese Halliburton, like, was the Kings. And I am f- I was floored. And apparently so was the entire league. A big report was a lot of teams going, wait, we didn't think you guys were going to be ridiculous enough to trade Tyrese Halliburton. We would have offered some stuff. <laughs> Right, and Kings fans were understandably not happy. We'll try to find a link to this, but there was a great Kings Reddit stream that was just complete chaos and people being like, we can't do this anymore. We can't We can't follow this team. We have to boycott. I have to thank the Kings because no matter how bad the Knicks are and no matter how disappointing they are, we'll always have the Kings. There will always be the team that messes up things worse. And what's so wild about this trade is that the Kings had a home run with the Tyrese Halberton pick. He went way too low in the draft. I really wanted the Knicks to take him at number eight in addition to a couple other players, but he was high on my list of please take this person instead of Obi Toppin. And then he turned out to be really good, an absolute steal. And that is the kind of thing that can revolutionize a franchise. The Bucks getting Giannis at 15, mm-hmm. the Nuggets getting Jokic in the second round. The Raptors getting Fred Van Vliet undrafted. When you really outperform a pick, that changes your franchise. And Tyrese Halliburton showed a lot of upside. He's not necessarily better than DeMontis Sabonis right now. So the Kings are getting quote unquote better presently, but he's only in his second year and he's been playing really well and he's been getting better every single year. And he's a nice kid that a week prior in a press conference said, I want to change the culture around the Kings that everyone thinks that we're this bad franchise. I want to do it. You have someone who looked like he wanted to make this team better and stick for the long haul and you trade him away. And the Kings were like, someone who wants to change our losing culture, get him out of here. Exactly. Uh, it's so strange, but you got to applaud the Pacers because that is incredible. I mean, for the Kings, though, it's like borderline malpractice. What are we, what's happening? It is so strange. They are just hell-bent on making the play-in Why? for this year just to end their historically long streak of not making the playoffs. But who cares? You're not fooling anyone. And Tyrese Halberton had so much future promise. Ugh. Right, you don't. I... As you know, we have somehow made it to this point in the episode after already recording the interview without me shoehorning in a baseball reference. Yay. You don't bet the farm to get into the one game wild card. It is not good business. No, because if you get into the play in, that is not making the playoffs. You have to be one of the top eight after the play in to brag that you made the playoffs. It is the play in. Exactly. Not the playoffs. Exactly. So very strange trade for the Kings. Not not a big fan of that. The other ones, as we mentioned earlier, Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Juancho Aaron Gomez went to the Jazz. The Blazers, in exchange, got Joe Ingles, which is sad because he just had a season-ending injury. So the Jazz just kind of did a, we have to trade him for a person that can play. I hope they resign him. I think they might. I really do, too. It's just sad because Joe Ingles has been with the Jazz for eight years, and he was this great story of he was on the Clippers, and he's from Australia, and his wife was flying from Australia to see him play in his game, and he got waived while she was on the plane, and then he got picked up by the Jazz and had this great career, and he's such a nice dude, and he even 
said publicly, I will understand if they trade me, it'll be sad, but I won't be angry. And it sucks. But yes, hopefully he comes back because to see him play on another team would be very, very strange. And then the Spurs got Tomas Sedaransky and a second round pick. The Raptors traded away Goran Dragic and a 2022nd lottery protected first round pick for Thad Young, Drew Eubanks, and a 2022 second round pick. I think it makes sense. Goran Dragic was not playing for the Raptors at all. I also don't know if he'll play for the Spurs, but... No, apparently uh, it looks like he'll be released and then some other team will scoop him up. And the Bulls are amongst the teams that are ah, considering that. Well, that could be very fun. Well, then, yes, at least the Raptors trade away a player who is not playing for them for someone who might. Then there was a four-team trade, a four-team trade, which is cool because that is the most you can do. The Sacramento <laughs> Kings, back at it again, they receive Dante DiVincenzo from the Bucks and Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles, both from the Pistons. Given that they only gave up Marvin Bagley, I think that's pretty good. Those are good players. The Pistons receive Marvin Bagley, which I do not understand because they have a couple of big guys on their team already, so I don't know why you do this. The Bucks get Serge Ibaka and a 2022 second-round pick and a 2024 second-round pick. Pretty solid for the Bucks as well mm -hmm. because they need depth at that position and they get some more picks that they traded away in past deals. And the Clippers get Semi Ojale and Rodney Hood. I don't exactly know what the Clippers are doing here. I don't know what the contract of Serge Ibaka was, but... I, I don't think they really want either of these two players, so I don't know what they're doing, but they got in the mix, and that was a four-team trade, which is very fun. It was a very eventful deadline. Yes, it continues. The Wizards traded away Aaron Holiday for our favorite player in the league, cash considerations, and then the Wizards traded Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Spencer Dinwiddie, who is all right, Davis Bertans, who's been very disappointing, for Chris Dapps Porzingis and a future second-round pick. So surprising. Didn't think this was going to happen. The Knicks didn't make a trade at the deadline, but this is a big win for the Knicks because it just makes us look even smarter for a trade that we were laughed out the door for, for making, for getting rid of Chris Dapps. So uh, I'm happy that this happened. <laughs> and the wild thing about this is we didn't even mention all of the trades just now. No. If you need to see the full list, go follow Woj on Twitter or go to NBA.com or whatever you'd like to do. But yeah, there, there was just a absolute slew of activity. One last trade that did happen. The Celtics traded away Dennis Schroeder, Ennis Freedom, and Bruno Fernando in exchange for Daniel Dice from the Rockets. The Rockets are doing this so that Alperin Shengun can get more playing time. He's a very fun basketball player. I highly recommend just watching him be a silly person out on the court. He's, he's a phenomenon of basketball, but notably... Bulls didn't make a trade. Lakers didn't make a trade. Knicks didn't make a trade. Yeah. Jeremy Grant still on the Pistons. So a lot of these big things of these things are certainly going to happen didn't happen. And the whole, oh my goodness, is it going to actually happen did happen in Harden Simmons, which we'll talk about soon. Yeah. Man, what a week. So much happened. A lot of WNBA free agency also happened. We will discuss that next week, but it's less time pressing because the WNBA doesn't return until the summer. So we'll get to that in the future. But it wasn't just a wild basketball week. There was some wild stuff happening in the WNBA as well. It's February's been fun. I like this month. It's a good one in terms of basketball-related sports news, plus my birthday. What's not to love? February's a good time. And the All-Star Game's coming up. Right? Not only is the All-Star Game coming up, but tonight... We're recording this on February 10th. The All-Star Game draft is happening. Ooh, So nice. you have Team LeBron and Team Kevin Durant drafting their teams. Kevin Durant's not even playing in the All-Star Game because of his injury, but they, very much like Playground style, get to pick their teams. And now some interesting trades have happened. I, I, man, it's such a spicy week. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's get right to the interview with Jody Evergan, returning guest, wonderful person, very smart, accomplished podcaster of all sorts. It's a good talk. We talk a lot about the Sixers and the trade and just what it means culturally. We get into a little bit of the basketball, but a lot of it is just around the non-basketball of it, which is very fun. And then we end by talking about a really cool project that he worked on since the last time we had him on the show. So we'll cut to that interview now. Hello, we're here with a very special interview. We're recording this on Thursday, February 10th at 2.02 p.m. We did this intentionally as a, haha, wouldn't it be fun if while we recorded an interview with our very special guest, Jody Avergan, what if we did it during the last hour of the trade deadline? Because what <laughs> if some big news happened? And at 1.28 p.m., baby, James Harden and Ben Simmons are actually traded. It really happened. We wanted to get the rawest possible reactions possible. Wait, we're not talking about the Celtics acquiring Derek White. <laughs> oh, I didn't in, even see that in, one. In, in exchange for Romeo Langford and John. You know, I think, I think I would assume a professional podcaster wouldn't bury the lead like that, Shubes, but yeah, here we are. Yeah. No, we are here to discuss KZ Oakpala for <laughs> a protected second round pick and lightning of protections on a previous pick that's traded. Now, we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff, but we are here with Jody Evergan. Jody, how's it going? It's going well, and I'm a Sixers fan, and this is quite a moment, one I've sort of played in my head many, many, many times. Um... And, you know, the top line is I'm intrigued and happy and, you know, also like willing to delude myself in this moment. Why not? Into thinking, gosh, maybe this is one of those trades where everyone wins and everyone's happy. But, you know, it does feel like maybe that's the case. That's the thing is it could work. Uh, this is a rare trade deadline in that usually you will have a player or a couple that is just generally thought of as for example, even this trade deadline, Jeremy Grant will get traded, but no one has like a trade lined up. This is the rare case where it wasn't just people thinking James Harden would get traded or thinking Ben Simmons would get traded. People were thinking this specific trade will happen. And it was hyped up because it just made too much sense. And everyone thought, at least I thought, there's no way it's actually going to happen because it makes too much sense. We can't have nice things in the world. The report this morning was so funny because it was basically like James Harden wants to be traded to the 76 but doesn't want to officially say it because he doesn't want people to think that he's being a jerk. So instead, he's going to do the thing that he did in Houston, which is just like right. not give a crap, which is basically going to make people think he's a jerk anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it is one of those strange things. But, you know, these things become self-fulfilling prophecies. And it's one of the like... I like these reminders that like at the end of the day, what we're talking about are like human beings who get on the phone and like make awkward, awkward small talk and then kind of like circle <laughs> around to the thing that they really were going to talk about all along. And like they feel the pressure and, you know, it's like you think of these, I mean, some GMs are idiots, but, you know, I think like capable GMs, you think of them as like very rational and very whatever. And it's still like, no, it was going to come down to just feeling the pressure of the deadline and the like chicken of who's going to sort of say the number first. But yeah, it was always going to, I don't know. I feel like it was always going to end up like this because um, the default as it was a few hours ago was just untenable. Right. So the full details of the trade, at least as of 2.05 PM Eastern time, according to what I have seen on the internet, is that Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and Andre Drummond, in addition to a unprotected first round pick in 2022 and a protected first round pick in 2027, those are all going to the Brooklyn Nets and the 76ers in return are getting James Harden and Paul Millsap, which I think I think is a pretty fair trade. I'm excited to see your interest here, Jody, because I did talk to two other Sixer fans before and both said some iteration of it hurts to give up Andre Drummond in the trade, Ooh. which I was floored by. Where I'm at, too. That's where I'm really? at, Really? He's on my fantasy team. I'm hoping he's getting some more minutes now. We're 
it's Andre Drummond. Yeah, I don't. But, I <laughs> but it's someone who takes the twelve minutes when Joe Embiid needs to rest. So there's that. But also, I think that assessment, which is where I'm at too, says much more about I think where Sixers fans are with Curry, mm. which was just like. So disappointed. To see him gone? No, no. Oh, with his performance. With how, with how he's been. Like, I've just been, you know, really, you know, my whole thing with the Sixers has been, you need more than one player who scares the opponent. And the Sixers this year have only had one player who scares the opponent. You know, people do not freak out, and they should, but people do not freak out when Seth Curry is is alone. So I've just been disappointed with him. And so I think when Sixers fans want to evaluate this and find a little part of it that hurts their heart, they're not going to turn to Seth Curry because I think he's been disappointed. It's like, fine, whatever. And so then the only other person left is Drummond and those picks. And Sixers fans need to start getting accustomed to prime picks leaving the building <laughs> as opposed to flowing in. But yeah. And who knows? I mean, so often I feel like with trades, it's the picks that you give up. Five years later that you look back and you're like, oh, that was really, we didn't know it at the time, but that was really the thing. But, you know. But as a Sixers fan, are you just happy to have James Harden on the team? Because I knew even that was divisive amongst some fans. Yeah. I mean, it to me just checks. I mean, you know, I'm not the most sophisticated sports analyst in basketball, you know, but like it just checks some very straightforward boxes for me, which is, you know, one, yes, we have another player who scares the opponent, which I think is really important. And like his skills do not overlap with Embiid's that much. They're complementary. And at some basic level, it's like, finally, there is someone who the opponent is going to freak out about more than 15 feet from the basket, which has just been what the team has missed. And, you know, I'm like, I really think since J.J. Redick, we haven't had that. I think that's valid. And I think like when we made that big run and we, you know, we just we lost to the Raptors in that heartbreaking fashion. But I mean, to me, it was just like the fact that J.J. was there and Often hit the shot, but even so, when when he was in the corner and the ball swung to him, two or three people just like shifted towards him because they were scared of what he could do. That felt like one of the key ingredients, and we just have not had that since. And we were hoping that Seth Curry could do it. We were hoping that others could do it. And now I think if the big question is if Harden is who he is, but if he is, he's just someone when the ball goes to him, two or three people on the opposing team get a little scared. And I like that. Right. I, I do have to say, while I am intrigued to see the Harden-Embiid combo, there is a part of me just as a basketball fan, not even thinking about how it impacts my Bulls. Like, It's kind of a bummer that we never really got to see the big three in Brooklyn be what they could have been. Like, I think Kyrie Irving not playing for most of the year has a hell of a lot to do with that. But I, it is kind of a bummer that we never got to see that triumvirate, to use one of Shubes' uh, words, never got to be in the in the finals. In the final, sure. But last year's playoffs, I mean, there was an injury that sort of got in the way of that. But I mean, for a while there, it was cooking and they were doing really, really well, right? Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Like that's, I think Brooklyn would have thought, oh gosh, this is the next four years. You know, we're going to be in two of the next four finals and this is going to be great. And obviously it didn't work out for a bunch of reasons. And it's also like, to state the obvious, it's a real bummer we didn't get to see Simmons and Embiid really do what they do best. Though I also think people weirdly forget that we did have some of that. And I have like, I'm not necessarily a Simmons, you know, fanboy or whatever, but I think people like the story of what of Ben Simmons got written, like I think in a really unfair way in terms of his play. Like I think even in that series last year where he collapsed, and I mean it was obvious collapse, but there were games, like literally in that same series, there were games where you were like, oh, this is the Ben Simmons we've been waiting for all along. I remember watching that. Like in game two of that series, you know, I was like, oh, Ben Simmons, like 
running up and down the court. He's doing everything we do. This is amazing. This is what we've been waiting for all along. And then it's like two games later, he has that sort of mental breakdown. And then obviously that writes the story. But I just think, and same thing with Harden. Like there were times even this year where Harden was like, carrying that team and people forget that and they write the story of just like the last couple of weeks or they'd like to write the sort of story of how oh, this person's a failure or a bust or whatever. It's an interesting trade in that both of these players, James Harden and Ben Simmons, have great records in regular season play. And even Ben Simmons last season made an all NBA team, I'm pretty sure. Exactly. So it's not like these guys are bad players, but they both have historically bad playoff performances. James Harden more famously just having not great games repeatedly, always falling short until like the series is gone and then having a really good game when you're down 3-0 or 3-1. Ben Simmons, kind of fine, but really just the free throw collapse of this year, just really leaving a sour taste. Both of these players do well in the regular season, so it will be interesting to see how they play for their respective teams going forward. There are always those butterfly effect sliding door moments in the NBA and in life that just everything would be different if something falls like a little bit a different direction. Like you brought up, Jody, the conference finals a few years ago when the Raptors ended up winning the championship. If Kawhi Leonard's shot is short by another inch, we might be looking at a completely different world right now. It's always very interesting to think about how those singular moments impact everything else that follows them. That shot, by the way, the first time I had cried over a sports result since the 1993 World Series when Joe Carter beat the Phillies. (laughs) And it was like, you know, very, very young, but my parents let me stay up late and I watched that. Like, and, you know, a shot that bounces three times off the rim. It's like, what are you going to do? But anyway. Um, I will not be shedding tears over this trade. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what is interesting, because you are a Sixers fan, this trade does have emotion in it because I feel like people have very strong emotions about Ben Simmons and what he did this season. This season has been such a strange roller coaster in that you think Ben Simmons might come. You think he might play a little bit and try to trade him. Then he's not going to play at all. Then you think, okay, we're going to just not be able to trade him until the offseason. So this is kind of a wash year. Are we wasting a Joel Embiid year? And then Joel Embiid decides to play out of any expectations ever, like complete video game numbers. And now it's switch. And I think that's why they made this trade is if we get someone to fill the zero that is Ben Simmons, we have a legitimate shot. What do you think and how did you feel and how do you feel now going through the whole roller coaster of emotion that the season has been and now for the trade to actually happen and for Ben to be gone? Hmm. You know, it hasn't been a roller coaster necessarily for me in that I never really I just thought Ben's going to get traded from basically the beginning of the season or from the offseason. I just didn't see a way or any behavior that indicated that like, oh, you know, they're just going to blink and get to it. And, you know, like I was like. Kyrie's going to get vaccinated before Ben Simmons goes and plays. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like, I just didn't think it was there. You know, so it hasn't been a roller coaster in that, like, I've been following the twists and turns of like, oh, is Ben going to come back or or whatever. I think it's mostly just been like, what are we going to, what are we going to do with this? And wh- is he going to find a home where he can be a really good player in the way that he he should be? And people have weirdly forgotten that he is, as you were pointing out. But, you know, in, in a sort of larger sense, like, I do like Ben Simmons. And I really like, I mean, I think he does... Some of the things I like most in basketball, you know, I just, I just like, I think really good defense is like the, one of the most satisfying things in the world to watch. And so some of my f- favorite moments have just been watching Ben Simmons just like, and, you know, and like really good transition play. And so like, I just, I enjoyed watching him. And then like a lot of other Sixers fans was just like totally heartbroken and baffled by what happened at the end of last season. And, you know, the big question or one of the big questions for me in the like, 
Simmons Harden trade, other than like skill sets and yada, 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 is is also like, what kind of emotional components are we trading here? And in some sense, we are trading two people who have a big question mark over their heads about like, how much do they really, really deeply want it? And I think the best case scenario for the Sixers right now is that you cannot be in Joel Embiid's orbit right now without getting wrapped up in just caring more than anything in the world. And hopefully that pushes James Harden in a way that hasn't happened, I don't think, maybe since he was with the Thunder, that hasn't happened for him, you know, to really push him to care. I tell you something, the ratings of a Net Sixers playoff series are going to be pretty good. Even the regular season game, they play next month. Yeah, yeah. and did you see Joel's tweet just now where he kind of like, the, the funeral tweet? I mean, he he did this, that meme from the guy at the funeral who's like really stone-faced and kind of like there to, there to watch uh, his enemies get buried, you know? I mean, so I'm like, yeah, like what's going to happen the first time that Simmons drives to the basket and Embiid is there? I think the blood is is not good. Agreed. I think what will be interesting, and I'm very glad that I have this recorded on the podcast, is I think in the first episode we did before the season started, I predicted Joel Embiid MVP purely riding the vibes of not playing with Ben Simmons anymore. And I wonder if him being gone will now even take Joel Embiid's absurd, ridiculous numbers to the next level. But you predicted that from a basketball sense or like a No, personality perspective. Personality just like... 100% just Joel Embiid revenge tour. It has nothing to do with basketball fit or the team shakeup. It is purely just out of anger. And whenever Ben is gone, good riddance to this person I did not enjoy. And so how does that now play in with a big question, which is, you know, is Harden going to be comfortable being an alpha, but number two, you know, an alpha two? I think he will, because I listened to a fair number of basketball podcasts and a couple of the ones that I was listening to, most notably the low post, Zach Lowe's reporting was that part of the reason that James Harden was so upset with the situation in Brooklyn is that he thought that it would be a situation where he wouldn't have to be the guy again just because he's getting older and now we're starting to see some injuries happen and he's not had a very big career of injuries. He's a pretty sturdy player and usually doesn't miss a lot of games. So I think from what I was hearing that he's kind of upset that he was forced to be because people forget the second half of that season when KD and Kyrie were out, James Harden was the Nets and he was putting up absurd numbers. So I think he was kind of mad that he had to be Houston James Harden again because he's like, I'm getting old and I can't be this James Harden again. So weirdly, I think even though all the narratives people like to say, oh, it's not his team anymore, blah, blah, blah. I think he's actually going to like that because he doesn't have to do as much. And maybe for the first time in his career, he can conserve energy for the playoffs and then go beast mode if he has to. And he's never played with a real classic big man like this, right? Only Dwight Howard, but Dwight Howard was refusing to adapt to James Harden's skill set. And because Joel Embiid is so versatile, I could see the two of them working. It's a little different because Joel Embiid is not a traditional rim runner, which James Harden likes to do with Clint Capella, for example, in the Rockets tenure. It was fantastic. Their pick and roll mojo was perfect. And Joel Embiid's a little bit different. But I mean, he's Joel Embiid. Like, I think it's going to be okay. He's if Joel Embiid could basically make things work with Ben Simmons, who is a very, very specific player that needs very particular circumstances around him. I feel like more flexible Joel Embiid and more flexible James Harden can figure something out. 
<laughs> the strategy talk is making me realize that we can now finally refocus on the real conversation that we need to have as pessimistic Sixers fans, which is how is Doc Rivers going to fall short yet again? <laughs> oh, it's no. like he's weirdly skated by uh, this whole time, but now we get to finally see what he can cook up. <laughs> I do feel like that is a trend of Sixers fans is that there is always someone to be upset at. Now that Ben Simmons is gone, is Doc Rivers the person to be upset at? That's every franchise. It's every team for sure. But I think it's Sixers fans particularly. So Adam, what... What team are you a fan of? I'm a Bulls fan. Okay. So can I ask you, what do you think of Sixers fans in just like the last few years? And like, do you feel like, I mean, because it's very hard when you're in the bubble, to th- but it feels to me like the NBA revolves around Sixers drama, basically. And, you know, are you aware of that? Do you feel like, oh gosh, this random team from this random mid-Atlantic city is just dominating the conversation way too much? I have kind of a skewed view on that because despite having grown up in Illinois as a kid and being a Bulls fan, I largely grew up in central New Jersey and went to college in central New Jersey in a place where it was like very divided between New York and Philly sports. So I've always kind of felt like Philly fans in general are not my favorite. No offense, but I've I've seen it and experienced it in person. So living on the East Coast, I feel like it's kind of normal that the, the Sixers are in the, the mix the way that they are. But I don't feel like they used to be such a drama filled franchise. So I do feel like regardless of where you're following the NBA from, it has been noticeable, especially over the past, I don't know, year or two, that it just seems like sheer chaos in Philly at all times, whether it's like personnel changes with the coach and and GM getting shifted around the, the Simmons saga, I feel like has been other than Kyrie not getting vaccinated by far the number one storyline in the NBA this year. But I, I also think of the Sixers as being and Philly in general as being like a fairly major sports market. Like you talk about Harden being like the alpha two, like Philly to me as a city and as a sports town is in that like alpha two sports city range. So, and I mean, the Sixers have also like the path of their franchise over the last five, 10 years has reflected, I think lots of the NBA's kind of like, you know, they were the process team when the conversation around the NBA was getting a little more analytical and nerdier and sort of whatever. And then they turned and then they picked up, I think, like some of the drama stuff right at a time when like basketball Twitter was becoming the, you know, the driving force. They, yeah, the so, whole Colangelo thing. Yeah, exactly. So it's a little like chicken and egg, but I do think like they've weirdly like had their finger on the pulse. So they've been right at the right at the pulse of like whatever the dominant conversation the NBA was going to be at, at that time anyway. And then obviously the, the you know, it's just, it's just good drama period um, this, you know, this last year or so. Well, as a, as a Sixers fan, uh, if you can answer this, like prior to an hour ago, what was your realistic <laughs> expectation for this team? Had they not made any moves at the deadline and now having done so, what is your expectation of this team this year? Oh, I mean, it's definitely shifted. I mean, I think my expectation was, you know, second or third round. I mean, like, I just think, like, at some point you were going to run into a team that had, again, two or three truly scary players or just felt complete. I mean, you know, it's funny. I'll even pinpoint it more specifically, like, like all of us have been watching Joel and been and just been in awe and felt like, wow, we're, you know, and we have been really, really good and just been like, wow, we can, we can do this. We're a really good team as constructed without Ben and with Joel playing this way. And then just earlier this week, we played the Suns and it was just incredible to just watch that and be like, oh, right. That's what a complete team is like. That's what a team that has people who play their role, who have two or three people who on the floor at any given point who make the opponent worry. And, you know, we were up like 15, 20 points and then just whittled it away. And, you know, I think when you see the Suns, the Bucks, 
you know, the Bulls even to some extent, the Heat who are just like sitting there ready to get healthy. I wasn't looking at those teams and feeling like we were we were that. And now maybe maybe we are. Maybe we are. <laughs> at the risk of spoiling this moment, unless I'm mistaken, you only get hardened till the end of the year, right? And then it's a, a question. No, well, of- he is apparently, I mean, these are all like tweets, but he has apparently pledged to, now this is, this is one of my favorite little tidbits. Shams, I think, reported this. But sources say that 76er star, now new 76er star James Harden, has pledged to opt into his $47.3 million contract for next season, which is, I just love it. It's like, I'm doing you such a huge favor. Check this out. You get to pay me $47.3 million. (laughs) Yeah, so he's got a player option that he can extend. There were lots of rumors that he was not going to accept it so that he could go into free agency. I don't know if this has one of those ramifications where it's smart for him to leave because then it's a 10-year mark and he can get more money thing, but... It seems like now, yeah, he'll he'll probably opt in for one year, see how it's going in Philly, and then either re-sign with them or leave again, uh, as he's seeming to do with his most recent teams. But I did think, and and talking about like the interesting things of tweeting, and we we talked about the tweet earlier that Woj put out, where Woj basically said before the trade happened, James Harden wants to be traded to the Sixers, but he doesn't want to say it publicly out of fear of retribution, <laughs> which. It's just such an interesting dynamic into how Woj works, because clearly someone from one of the teams told Woj that. Or James Harden told him that. It it could be, but I I feel like it's someone from the team going, okay, we got to get this deal done. And the only or at least one of the roadblocks is James Harden not wanting to be direct about it. And what's fun is this could be someone from the Nets. It also could be someone from the Sixers. It also could be James Harden. But just it's just such a weird thing where if you told someone from 15 years ago that a guy who just tweets news 15 minutes before it becomes widely reported and official would have serious ramifications on how trades happen in the NBA is wild. Yeah, you would have been like, what's a tweet? Right. (laughs) What a weird concept that even us as basketball fans now fully just understand. Yes, this is what Wojin Chams do. They sometimes spark the fire of a trade and then tweet PR about a trade to make teams feel good about themselves or whatever. But if you take yourself out of it for a second, it is such a weird concept that a guy who just tweets things a little bit ahead of time can push a trade to happening. Wait, can I ask a question? So, so of course, I think about this all the time whenever there's a Sixers moment or whatever. But, you know, it is the perpetual question, which is, is this the end of the process or has the process ended? Has the process ongoing? You know, and and, and what, are the, what are the ways in which you decide to evaluate that question? So uh, you have some thoughts? Just in case anyone listening is unaware... The process was when the Sixers intentionally, and I do think this plays into why people are so invested in Sixers drama, is I think the process just made everyone aware of what the Sixers were doing, and it was very public. But they basically decided, when Sam Hinkie was in charge, we're going to be bad on purpose for five years to get a bunch of picks, and then some of those draft picks will hit, and then we'll be really good. And some of those picks worked. Some were interesting things, but you had players like Nerland's Noel. You had players like... Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, you had Markel Fultz. So some working out well, some not working out well. You know, the underlying idea being like in basketball, the way that you level up is not through incremental change, but it's through finding two or three generational talents. And to do that, you have to place as many bets as possible through draft picks and hope. Right, because you might get an Embiid and you might get a Nerlens Noel. You just don't know. Exactly, exactly. And the reason it's called Trust the Process is that's what they put on their promotional materials for one of the seasons to try to convince fans to come to see 
horrible basketball players. Intentionally horrible basketball players and players who were out there basically to just accumulate salary that then they could flip or trade for picks. Right. It's it's very it's very much like the Sacramento Kings uh, slogan. We're so, so sorry. <laughs> oh, God. What are they doing? But no, I think to answer your question, Jody, real quick, from the perspective of an outsider, not a, not a fan of any team in that division, I think this is the culmination of the process. It just took a hell of a lot more roadblocks than anyone expected to get to the ultimate destination, which is where they are now competing for a championship, which in fairness, they kind of were a couple of years ago as well. I think the whole trust the process thing implies that you're largely going to be centering the team around a couple draft picks that hit. But in this case, a couple of them did. And then you flipped one of them for another generational talent who is presumably going to get you pretty damn far uh, later this spring. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, there's a way to evaluate the question in terms of drawing those skipping stones back to draft picks. And so then you can say, you know, James Harden is a product of drafting Ben Simmons, who was a product of these seven other picks that didn't work and they flipped them and so forth. You know, if that's the case, though, then I think there's an argument that when they signed Toby Harris, who was just like pure free agent from nowhere and just brought in not by flipping assets or whatever, that may have been the end of the process because like now we're just behaving like a regular franchise that's just using our money to bring in people. The other way to answer this question is obviously the more like on the court one, which is, you know, have they reached that moment where you can just sort of say this era of the Sixers was successful or was it not? And I just, and I feel like that series against Toronto felt like it was starting to do that. And then it was like, okay, well, this team's either going to fall short a few times or they're going to win one and then we'll know. And then the Ben Simmons thing just like threw this weird wrench just in terms of narratively into the whole thing. Uh, and so now I, I, I genuinely don't, don't know. But, you know, if you take a step back and say the goal of the process was to land generational talent, I think saying we got to a place where we have Joel Embiid and James Harden, that feels like a nice capstone. Yeah. And I, and I think fundamentally what you're trying to accomplish is being a championship contender for a particular window of time. Whatever happens in the playoffs happens in the playoffs. It's a crapshoot. This is the case in any sport. Basketball, I think sometimes a bit less so just because of how long every series is. But yeah, you don't, you don't know. But I, I think that the Sixers very much are in the mix to win the championship this year. And that was not the case two hours ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like I like hearing those words. <laughs> I think if you were writing an outline script of the history of the Sixers, I think the James Harden trade makes you go from a subheading to a new heading. If the process was Roman numeral whatever, and then all these other moves like getting Jimmy Butler and getting Tobias Harris were A, B, C, I feel like trading Ben Simmons for James Harden makes you go to the next Roman numeral because this is just a completely different thing from the process in that you have acquired established veteran through a trade, not just through a signing, but just straight up through a trade. And you have traded the goal of the process, which was get someone drafted onto the team because that's the easiest way to make your team successful because there's so many contract incentives that make it easier to retain players as opposed to bringing in new ones. So to trade someone like that for an established star in the twilight of their career, at least being at a very high level, that to me feels like a different structure of a team. Well, I appreciate you putting it in sort of narrative terms because one of the ways I've really thought about this question is I wanted to do it as a 30 for 30 and inevitably we'd run up against that question of like, yeah, but what's the last act? Like, what's the answer at the end, you know? And I mean, narratively, 
And personally, the best would have been they win a championship two years ago or whatever, or they fall just short and break up the team. And instead, there's just been this weird stasis. And so both from a basketball perspective and, a, you know, a sports journalism perspective, it's like, I want that arc to like, I want that arc to close a little bit. Well, I think we might we might be coming to it. I mean, also, I, I have to say, I, I liked that you uh, referred to Tobias Harris as Toby. I feel like you can like only call him by a, a nickname if you're a Sixers fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really like that guy i mean he's also last year he gave me a lot of like disappointment um this year he's finally is who he is you know and and, and that's been the frustrating thing too it's like seth curry i think last year was playing like oh this is seth curry like you know people what people say like best three-point shooter of all time you know and then and, and this year they sort of switched and it's like gosh we can't just ever have everyone kind of clicking and, and and wanting it and sort of in that way that the really good teams just they find a way. The Bucks did it last year. The Suns are doing it this year, you know. I think that's something that's underrated about adding James Harden to the team is that I feel like because he garners so much attention, like you were saying, so many people are scared when he has the basketball or even is just on the court, that I feel like it's going to make everyone else's job easier. It's one of those people in a group project that just raises everyone else's performance because now there's going to be less pressure on Tobias Harris. He's been playing very well recently, but now his life is that much easier because you're going to pay more attention to James Harden than Tobias Harris. He'll get more open shots. Matisse Teibel is going to get even more open shots, and he can focus more energy on defense. Tyrese Maxey's life gets easier. Everyone else's life gets easier when you have someone that is just a very high priority for the defense to focus on on the court. I think everyone else around Joel Embiid, Joel included, I think everybody could play better by having James on the court, as long as he doesn't just dribble the ball for 20 out of 24 seconds every possession. Now, does that analogy imply that when James Harden was growing up in school, when he was when he was doing group projects, if he didn't like the group, he wouldn't officially ask to leave the group, but he would just kind of like be sad and then people would infer that he wanted to leave the group? It was this weird thing. <laughs> he would just start eating like and drinking juice boxes <laughs> and just eating all the snacks and just like get really fat and lazy and everyone would be like, oh man, this group project. Um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously the worst The worst side of this is when the flip side of what you're describing, Mike, and which I think James Harden is capable of, is you're on the court taking up space and not scaring anyone. And that's even worse, I would say, than being like a, a neutral. You know, I mean, I would argue in general in sports, there is no such thing as neutral. You're either sort of contributing or you're being detrimental. But that's the worst part of it is this James Harden, you know, thinks he's still James Harden. Everyone and every great player. I mean, there's moments when LeBron looks that way, frankly, like where it's just like you're just occupying space and it's making everyone's life a little harder. And then there's other times, obviously, when everyone's life is a little easier. I think the prime example of that is what is happening with the Lakers and Russell Westbrook, because he's never been a great shooter, but he's been especially bad this year. And also, like you raised with James Harden, not necessarily buying into what would work because his corner three numbers, at least until recently, weren't too terrible to where if he would have just been a corner three baseline runner guy would have been okay. But Russ doesn't want to do that because he never was that. And I think because of that, Defenses don't have to pay attention to him as much, and then it makes everyone's life harder. If James Harden can buy into what is best for the team, I don't think that will happen. And that's another thing that has been widely reported. A big reason why he wants to go to the Sixers is that Daryl Morey is the GM of the Sixers, and Daryl Morey was the GM of the Rockets and very much worked with James to build the team around James and put players around him that were custom tailored to 
what he wanted to do on the basketball court. And maybe James isn't going to be able to garner that same attention like he was in Houston, but maybe now it's the reverse where Maury is the perfect person to try and get James Harden to buy into exactly what the Sixers need. Maybe a little less of the James Harden iso ball and more of playing off of Joel Embiid and, and doing something to make them a truly terrifying threat as a duo. I mean, James Harden is one of the, as a human being and as a basketball player, just like a total enigma to me. I just like can't crack. What is this? What is this guy? The answers are in his beard. <laughs> I think that's right. Uh, by the way, my probably my favorite moment in recent NBA history was when James Harden showed up at the bubble wearing a Punisher mask in the middle of the Black Lives Matter protests. Oh, and everyone was boy. like, what the fuck? And then one of James Harden's friends was like, Oh, he didn't know what that was. He doesn't have the internet. And everyone was like, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll buy that. Not just a Punisher, but a single blue stripe Punisher mask. A, a thin blue like, line Punisher ooh, mask. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and he was like, oh, he just thought it was cool. He doesn't have the internet. He just found it. And everyone was like, oh, I'll buy that. Anyway. Everyone collectively believed it. It's amazing. 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 And we, then we just like weirdly forgot that moment. But can you answer this question? Like at some fundamental level, what is James Harden want? What does he want to do on a court? I mean, isn't it still iso ball step back three, just less of it? Maybe, yeah. I th that's kind of what it is. I think he, unfortunately, never enjoyed being a spot-up shooter because he feels, whether he feels he's better taking a shot off the dribble or whatever, one knock against him, and it has been a knock of his recent play in Brooklyn, is that when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, kind of just doesn't do a whole lot, as opposed to someone like a J.J. Redick, like you mentioned earlier, who's running around all the time. And Steph Curry is great about this. If Steph Curry has a ball, he'll try to do all sorts of dribble moves to get his own shot. If he doesn't have the ball, he's running around at a million miles an hour to try and get open. And that man's stamina is impressive. James Harden doesn't do the off-ball stuff. So I, unless he starts to do that, which I don't think is going to happen, I think it might be what Adam just said. Same kind of thing. I would just like to not have to do this every possession. And that's probably okay because the Sixers have a lot of other threats. Whereas with the Rockets, since that team was 100% designed around either James Harden ISO or James Harden pick and roll, no one else could handle the ball. And whether you throw it to Joel Embiid in the post or you do something with like a Tobias Harris pick and pop. Like there's other things that you can do. Tyrese Maxey can play make. There's other people who can do stuff. So hopefully James Harden, at least for the Sixers sake, doesn't just become a stand around and do nothing when I don't have the ball guy. But at the very least, I think what he wants to do is not have to do that as much. Exactly what Adam said. And I think the Sixers are built to where he doesn't have to. That's what's happening with Westbrook is you see he, that he feels like, well, no one here is going to just like put their head down and drive to the basket unless, you know, LeBron's out here and he's often not. And so then you see just Westbrook. I mean, he likes to do that, but also I feel like he genuinely feels like pressure to do that. Whereas on the Sixers, like, I mean, I think Maxie's a big key to all this. I just, I like him a lot, but you know, he has a little that Westbrook, like, whoa, you're a little, you're, you're redlining it here. What's going on? But like five or six times a game, if he's going to be the one who's going to put his head down and just like drive into the teeth of the defense when James Harden doesn't feel like he needs to do that and maybe then kick it out to Harden who can then do a step back or whatever. Like, I just think there's more of that like pressure release or more different ways that Harden can find a new kind of mode for himself. Well, and a big thing is just going to be if he's happy. But I don't know what a happy James Harden is. I like, don't know. It's his, been so his, long. That's the more personality <laughs> part of him that I just can't crack. Harden's contentedness is uh, ephemeral. Yeah. <laughs> 
I also loved the report that said James Harden did not like living in Brooklyn. There was many reports about his grumpiness. And one of them was James Harden does not enjoy living in Brooklyn, which is like so strange to me because I feel like if you are a basketball player, you don't really live in any city. You are located in a city, but your life is so different than any other human's life that you're not complaining about the subway lines don't connect as well in Brooklyn as they do in Manhattan. Like that is not your life. But it is funny that he's going from Brooklyn to Philly. I mean, as someone who is uh, fairly happy living in Queens on five figures, what is he complaining about living in Brooklyn on 20? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. James Harden goes into a Wawa. That could be a life-altering situation Mm -hmm. for him. And there's no Wawas in Brooklyn. There are Wawas in the surrounding Philly area. And as a New Jersey boy myself, like Wawa is a enlightening experience. Maybe that turns it around. Maybe maybe it's just the vibe of the city. I'm also on the Wawa versus Sheets side. I'm on the thank Wawa side for sure. Absolutely. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank from you. From Wawa to Wawa, the James Harden song. <laughs> oh, very nice. And from just a human perspective, it's always fun to think about the NBA as a regular office job. But if in your regular office job, you had two very important people in the office that liked each other and you were brought in to be on the same page, but they were clearly buddy-buddy and you were just kind of there. That's a little upsetting to be on the outside. We've all felt that in any walk of life. But also, what if you had a coworker that only worked two or three days a week? Like that, and, it, and it's not just a coworker, it's the vice president or whatever. And, and not only do they not show up all the time, but you actively have to do their work for them on the days they don't report. I'm just realizing this now, but did the, the the hardened grumpiness in Brooklyn kind of kick to another level when Kyrie came back halftime? Yeah. I don't know. He Maybe he was like, okay, well, at least, you know, Kyrie's not playing. I can put that off in a box over here. And then maybe the frustration really kicked in when it was like, well, what is this situation? Or maybe he just couldn't find a good coffee spot. We don't know these things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Before we let you go, Jody, we, we do want to talk about some other not just. Yeah. Would it, would it surprise <laughs> you to things. know that there was a plan in which we were going to talk to you about your career? <laughs> uh, I'm much, much, much happier to talk about this stuff. But yeah. Since we last had you on the show, you worked on a podcast that I devoured in, I think, a day and a half, which was Death at the Wing. An incredible, an incredible basketball slash current events slash politics podcast that really was. I I always find it fun when creators make something that is a personification of themselves. And for you, given your background of working at places where it was either political or basketball or social, to put it all together, what was it like to create it just working with Adam McKay and everything involved in it. I mean, really, this is, you know, this is Adam Adam McKay, who's, you know, longtime director. And, you know, this was his sort of first big podcast project. And he's a massive, massive basketball fan. I mean, like encyclopedic. And, you know, I think over the course of making it, I just found that he and I sort of are interested in the same things and sort of think the same way. And it was, it was just very satisfying in that way. And I was the sort of executive producer and, and editor of it. But you know, to me, the thing that attracted me to that series was the uh, audacity of the idea at the heart of it, which is basically that we're going to explain the Reagan revolution and how this country transformed radically top to bottom in the 80s through the lens of NBA players who died (laughs) tragically in that era. And, you know, I mean, I just like it's very different from other stuff I've worked on before. Like I worked on 30 for 30 for many years and 30 for 30 is like all about story. And it's just find a story that goes A to B to C to D and just like ride that train and ride that momentum. And, you know, trust that the like ideas and the themes and stuff will kind of 
come in on top of that. And I really like that kind of storytelling. This was like, no, we're going to start with just this really bold, weird, ambitious idea, and we're going to explore it and obviously find compelling stories and, and so forth. So it was just like a nice push for me um, creatively. And then, yeah, I and mean, obviously, like, I think sports and politics are always talking to each other and intertwined. And this felt like a really good example of that. So yeah, it was just like very satisfying. I think um, it was like biting off a lot. And I think we mostly, you know, did it successfully, chewed it. But if I'm being honest, part of it was like, we're just going to take like a really big, weird swing here and, and sort of see what happens. I think it worked. I obviously trusted the project knowing your past work. Hashtag Adam's- trust the project. <laughs> trust the project. <laughs> I trusted it, but I definitely, when I was listening to it, part of me thought, how, how are they going to do this? And then every episode it worked and there was not a single time across the episodes where I thought, oh, okay, like that's yeah, a stretch. This is a little much, yeah. Right. It all worked and it was surprising how well it worked and how well you could tie the things together. And for the stories that I had heard of before, I got to learn more about. There were stories and players that I had never heard of before that I got to learn about, which was really cool. And I'm also here for any content that shows how terrible Ronald Reagan was as a president and human. So it was perfectly in my wheelhouse as well. Yeah. And I mean, that was where we maybe where like we got into a little bit of a like 14 minutes in, we say, and it was all Reagan's fault. You know, like there was, we were trying to avoid a little of that. That wasn't the intention. I mean, I think the intention was, you know, and there's, there's some really beautiful writing, I think most, you know, from Adam really in the first episode, but you know, basically like we are all products of the big swirling forces around us. There is not, when you look at a tragedy or you look at any event, you know, there is not a clear, this person did it for this reason. And that led to, to this outcome. I mean, it's just, that's not how the world works. And so to take something that tried to be, I think, understand the swirl of politics and culture and money and sports and race and all those things that were swirling in the 80s. And then also this basic idea that I think Adam is really passionate about and is at the heart of this, you know, that I don't think we really understand how much the 1980s changed this country and how much the 1980s was a sort of end of one arc and the beginning of another and that that we're still living in now and that really so much of what we're going through right now is a product of the transformations of the night of the reagan era it's really trickled down ironically yes it really has trickled down or, or mushroomed up or whatever but yeah and so you know that's really the heart of it all and the nba of course in its own universe transformed radically during the 80s in ways that were reflective of the way that larger society was was transforming That's fantastic. As far as it coming together, did Adam seek you out or was he looking for someone? I left ESPN at the beginning of 2020 um, before I knew what 2020 was going to (laughs) be. And, you know, I started I started making connections and talking with folks and so forth. But, you know, I didn't know McKay before that. And McKay had had this idea for a while. And I think they were kind of putting it into production or thinking about it. Because he had started a production company and they had a podcast unit and there were a couple of people doing podcasts. But it really, in many ways, was a product of the pandemic in that, you know, I think when the pandemic hit, it was like, well, you know, McKay's going to be sitting around in his house for the next few months. Like maybe just like this project that was maybe third on the third back burner is now going to just move to the front because what else are we going to do? Right. We're not going to go start shooting. Don't look up. So it kind of got accelerated in that way. And then, you know, if I'm being 
honest, like the list of people you call when you're trying to make a narrative podcast that swirls politics and sports together is like not super long. And I think I'm on that list. And so like, I think they just kind of naturally found their way to me having a conversation. And then, you know, it was like, yeah, it was like March, 2020, all of us just in our, in our respective homes, we just having like super long conversations about this idea and figuring out which players would, you know, and Adam's one of those guys, like I said, just, you know, real polymath on everything. And so like editorial calls were not like, Oh, this is interesting. I think I heard this thing. Let's go do a little research. It was like someone would say, oh, and what about this? And then Adam would have like five minutes of deep information about whatever we brought up and just sort of riff and swirl, you know, and a big part of my job, my main job was, you know, in many ways, story editor was to really just focus and kind of try and shape it to say like, well, each episode needs to connect to these different worlds that we're exploring in some sort of more clear way. And we need to find a story that was sort of feels like, a, you know, every piece of journalism has to have a story at its heart. That's just how our brains work. And so, you know, finding those stories, because sometimes we were working from ideas backwards and then, you know, sort of emerging and realizing like, okay, well, there's these categories of things we want to talk about. You know, we want to talk about race. We want to talk about guns. We want to talk about foreign policy. We want to talk about drugs and which one of these deaths in the 80s feels like it scans, best scans to that theme. And then it was just through the through 2020. And then he went off and recorded Don't Look Up. And while that was happening, obviously, we're still recording a little bit with him. Um, and then, yeah, eventually we just, we put it out. But yeah, it was very... It's very satisfying. And now we're trying to think about season two. Nice. Awesome. Well, I would definitely look forward to that. And I think it must be very refreshing when the person at the top of the project is knowledgeable in the subject, because my wife is an architect and in past projects, you'll have people who own the buildings ask for things <laughs> that just like are not feasible. And a lot of their meetings are have a meeting with the person who owns the building and then afterwards have to be like, okay, so we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. impossible. What do we do? <laughs> Just as someone who likes to collaborate and thinks about good collaboration and all that stuff, I think like I can't say enough great things about how he married that kind of like he's an alpha. He's Adam McKay. He's really, you know, he's really busy and really famous and has big ideas, but also like completely empowering and like collaborative. And, you know, he comes from an improv background. And I just think like those people are wired in a really special way at some fundamental level to just kind of know that it's that everyone needs to feel empowered for something to work. Yeah. It's kind of like trying to get other people involved on the basketball court I, I'm it all the improv connects. and basketball it all guy. Connects. So it's just all for me of like, yeah, I very much understand when people like Chris Paul are like, Oh, I want to get this guy a shot. I want to get this guy a shot. So they all feel so yeah. Uh, bouncing stuff off and making people feel like they're part of it is, is good. Well, it's it's what the Suns are going through right now. Like the Suns feel like an improv troupe that's just on the right wavelength, yes. you know? Yes. Like they just <laughs> Zip, are, zap, zapping around the court. Yep. <laughs> everyone's having fun. Everyone's clicking. Everyone's being unselfish. Like it's all that classic stuff of just like people's main goal is to make other people look good. And when you can get people to that level, to that place, even the star players, like it's just the you know, magical thing happens and that happens on podcasts and that happens in, in offices and it happens in relationships and it happens on sports teams, you know. Amazing. Well, I think that's a beautiful end to a beautiful <laughs> conversation. Jody, thank you so much for taking the time. This is great. What a moment. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, a what a moment. moment. We recorded a historic recording. Jody, if people want to find you doing stuff, where can they do so? Anything else you want to plug? 
One of the main things I do now is I host a political history podcast with Radiotopia. It's a few times a week. It's short. It's very, very fun um, sort of moments from the past, small and big, that feel resonant, but also are just interesting to talk about. So that is called This Day in Esoteric Political History. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And um, I have a website, jodyavergan.com, and I kind of keep all my latest projects up to up to date over there. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, and best of luck to your 76ers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is... The Honorable Brandon James Grugel. Thank you. The Honorable Brandon... For editing this episode. The music is by Bettina Kampamanis. The website is by Kelly Schubert. And the art is by Allison Wakeman. And the social media is by both Adam and me. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvador Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang. He sells seashells. Don't go chasing taco falls. Bang. Bang. Brown men can jump. Long-suffering Timberwolves fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Breezes, Anibor Jaley, and Weird Questions. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops got traded for cash considerations. You hate to see it, but at the same time, you love to see it. Check out our website, horsehoops.com, for links to some of the stuff we talked about today. Our live show will be up soon. We're going to have some fun 76ers slash Woj Bomb stuff up there, so be sure to check that out. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash horsehoops and get a bunch of bonus content. You can also get physical things like stickers and jerseys, a bunch of fun stuff there, and it all lives at patreon.com slash horsehoops. And we'll close out this episode as we do every episode by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. I think we just say it happened on the count of three, because I think that's the text message that everyone said to each other around the world when it happened yeah it felt like the most relevant thing to tweet which i tweeted from the horse account when it happened i think we just say it happened on three <laughs> i would have liked to have been in the room where it happened exactly all right it happened on three. One, two, three. it, it happened. happened let's see baby let's see <laughs>